Good morning, everybody. First Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of their life that is truly life. Amen. Thank you, Pat. You guys can have a seat. So we are in part three of a series that will take us until next week called Your Days Are Numbered. This is taken from Psalm 90, verse 12, which says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God, help us to realize how short our lives are so that we can live with the right perspective on our lives, on everything uh, going on around us. The first week, we talked about how this world is not our home. If our days are numbered, if time on earth is short, then this world is not your home. It is not a place where you can find and should try to find ultimate satisfaction and comfort. We have a home waiting for us. And so instead of being frustrated and disappointed and distracted from our mission here, we should live with eager expectation on Jesus' return. And in the meantime, be faithful with what he's called us to do in our short time here. And that took us to week two, which was training for eternity. If this world's not a home, then our primary pursuit in life The sun around which all other planets of our life should revolve is godliness, knowing Jesus and becoming more like Jesus. That will pay dividends for eternity, forever. And now today I want to zero in on one aspect of training for eternity, something that Jesus talked about a lot, something that Paul talked about a lot, which is use your privilege. Use your privilege. I'll explain that in a moment. Let me pray before we... Before we go any further, Um, before I pray, I was, uh, last week I talked about how cemeteries have a way of reminding me of my short time on this earth, if you were here, and uh, I hadn't been to one in a while, but I like to go to them, and so this, this past week, just coincidentally, I dropped off Kayla and her friend at Youth in Manasquan, and, and, and on the way back, there's a cemetery, kind of forgot about it, so I was like, ah. I pulled into it um, and walked around, spent some time there. And there were two tombstones that stood out to me. One was a boy who was born May 21st, 1992, and died May 23rd, 1992. And I, I just was thinking, what were the parents feeling? Like, did they, were they told something was wrong, or was this a complete shock? And, and did this draw them closer to God, or did they rail their fist at God as a result of this? It just makes you wonder. Some of you have experienced that. Not just extreme loss, but the extreme loss of a child. Another tombstone that stood out to me was Richard and Mabel Applegate. He was born in 1892 and died in 1964. So he was around 72 when he died. And she died in 1977, and that just made me wonder, for those 13 years after he died that she was still alive, what was it like for her? 
Was she lonely? Did she have regrets about how she treated him, loved him? Did she, you know, wish she didn't make such a big deal over little things? I don't know. I don't know. But just being there reminded me, like, this is, we're not just talking about this because it's an interesting subject. Like, you and I are going to be there one day. Like, what are we doing with our life? I'm like, God, I don't want to just preach a message. Like, change me. Like, help me. Really help me, God, to live with eternity in mind. As if my days are numbered. As if this will be me. As if I don't know when loved ones are going to be gone. Help me to live with that sense of focus on what you've called me to do, to be. So, Lord Jesus, help us not to just make this a... uh, I don't know, a sermon. Help us, protect us, God, from the temptation to um, just be nice churchgoers who maybe highlight our Bibles and write in journals but don't actually reorient our lives as a result. Shake us up, mold us, change us, transform us, flip over whatever needs to be flipped over in our lives and our perspectives and our hearts. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so use your privilege. People don't like that word privilege. You you know, it might be better to choose blessings, assets, strengths. But I'm using privilege because it's a trigger word. We use this word privilege to knock other people down a peg. We want to point out other people's privileges so that they can be knocked down a peg. And, and then we can kind of lift ourselves up a little bit. So somebody who was born into wealth, we might call them a trust fund baby. Somebody born with a silver spoon in their mouth who didn't have to work as hard as I did. So we knock them down a little bit because of their wealth privilege. Somebody who has a lot of degrees, education, we might call them a highbrow intellectual living in an ivory tower who's out of touch with the real world, out of touch, just talks in theory in classrooms but doesn't know what it's like to live in the everyday world that we live in. White privilege is something that people have talked about in the last few years. Go on, feel a little uncomfortable for a moment. The idea behind that is that folks feel like, okay, if you're born into a, 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 a lineage, a white lineage, then far less likely to have gone through systematic oppression, slavery, Jim Crow laws, being kept from voting, being kept uh, from getting loans, being kept from being able to get good jobs that allowed you to accumulate wealth and pass it on to the next generation. So even if laws are changed now, there is still generational patterns and generational I- issues that have been that affect current day, and that's, that's legitimate. There's, a, there's ways that are talking about it that are not helpful, but I think that's legitimate. On the flip side, folks don't like that. White folks don't like that because it's, it has been used to diminish the obstacles they've been through. Consider a, a Vietnam War veteran who was drafted when he was 19 because he was poor. He's sent off to Vietnam, came back disabled, came back in a wheelchair. He's been struggling ever since, supported minimally by the government. And now all of a sudden he's told that he's privileged because he's white. He doesn't feel privileged. What's my point? All of us want our disadvantages to be acknowledged. Acknowledge it. Let's acknowledge it. And we want other people's advantages to be recognized. Can you acknowledge that you have a a, a leg up here and I'm at a disadvantage here? That's our, that's, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's our tendency. And so we, can, we have this tendency to get into a competition of who's more disadvantaged and, and, and who's had to overcome more obstacles. 
I want you guys to recognize your two-eye privilege. I was born with one eye working. You guys have two eyes, most of you. So when I was a kid, I couldn't play hand-eye coordination sports like everybody else, uh, like my brothers did especially. They were really good at it. And so I, I was swinging the baseball bat. I couldn't. It gave me some relief when somebody could acknowledge and find out, oh, he's working with one eye. He doesn't just suck because he sucks. He sucks because he has one eye. <laughs> Made me feel better. I wanted my disadvantage to be recognized. You all have an advantage. You have two-eye privilege. My wife, a few months ago, she runs, I alluded to this last week, she runs in races, and uh, usually she wins for the women. Uh, but a few months ago, she came in second to a girl who beat her, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds. She'll know exactly. She'll be like, it was 13.345 seconds. Whatever it was, beat her. It was a relief when we found out that this girl was over 20 years younger than her. Age privilege. She was at an age disadvantage, right? We all naturally want other people's privileges to be recognized. He was born into money. You, you didn't have to go through what my family went through. You have two eyes. You have an age advantage. And that's normal. And listen, there's a place for that, and there's a place to even try to rectify. We did a whole justice series at the beginning of the year to rectify, rectify systematic injustices and care for the least of these, care, care for those. But sometimes we can slip into this focus on proving how hard our lives were that we don't recognize that we are so privileged. First and foremost, if we're a follower of Jesus, we have been born again by his spirit. The Bible says we are new creations. We are taken from death to life, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. Forever and ever, we're going to reign with Christ on a new heaven and new earth. Like that is a privilege, a gift, all out of God's grace. And on top of that, there are worldly privileges that God has gifted us with. If you're living in America, how many people live in America? By a show of hands. You have American privilege. There are benefits that we get from living in America that people in other countries don't get. You know this, right? Now, that's not to say that there's not other kinds of privileges elsewhere. There's different privileges for different people. But we have American privilege. If you're a citizen of America, even more. Some people are in here are working towards citizenship. Even more privileges. If you come from a two-parent home, you are privileged. Even if your parents had issues, they all have issues. They all give us reasons to have counseling. All, But privileged. Those who come from fatherless homes especially are far more likely to get into trouble. Prison, drugs, teenage pregnancy, privileged. If you're young and you're physically able, there's a physical ability privilege. And by the way, even though we look at those who are wealthier than us and we might call them privileged, you all know this. We forget it because of the world we the culture we live in. But by the world standards, right, we are, we're trust fund babies, right? By the world standards, we are all in some form. If you have running water, if you have a roof over your head, heck, if you have a car, whew, we're wealthy. And so what are we going to do with it? I don't think when Jesus returns, you know, I, I thought about this because my kids were, uh, they, they often, 
get sucked into the temptation to compare themselves to other families, other kids who have this or that, or get to do this or that. Um, but lately, they've been exposed to other kids who are at uh, more of a disadvantage than them. And they're re- I think they're realizing how privileged they are in many ways. And I, listen, I do not want them feeling guilty for privilege. God wouldn't want us to feel guilty for his gifts and blessings, but I want them to use it faithfully, to be aware of it, to spend the rest of their lives, their short days on this earth, to be faithful with their privilege, use it for the king and his kingdom. Use it for Jesus. He told a parable in Matthew 25. He said uh, it was a parable of, of talents. A master gave one guy five talents, one guy three, one, uh, one guy two, and one guy one. And the master went away. And that represents Jesus going away. He's going to return. And the master returns and says, what did you do with it? How did you make money for my kingdom? How did you invest for my kingdom? And the guy with five says, I invested it. I got five more. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And the guy with two comes, and you know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, well, this guy was more privileged than me. He had five, so I didn't want to bother with it. I was waiting for you to give me more. No, he said, I had two, and I invested it, and here's two more. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You were faithful with what I gave you. You didn't get so consumed with what you don't have and how this guy has five and you only have two. You were faithful. But the guy with one, he wasn't. He came back and he was like, I just buried it. I just buried it. I didn't like how this whole thing worked. And that's so easy for us to slip into. I don't like how this thing works. I don't like that guy. That guy's more privileged and that guy's more privileged. So I'm going to be so focused on pointing the finger at them that I'm going to be too distracted to be faithful with what God has given me in the here and now and recognize how privileged I am and own it and use it for Jesus. So at that, that's a long introduction. Maybe it'll be a shorter body of the message. We'll see. Let's dive into the passage that Pat just read from in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to go slowly through it. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world. So Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy is sort of like the, the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He tells Timothy to command those who are rich. So give a command. In other words, don't just pray that they figure it out. Command them. We need the body of Christ. We need each other to go, hey, this is how God says to live. Wake up. So he says, command those who are rich. Now, rich in this time didn't mean big 401k, IRAs, healthy mutual funds. It meant assets, land, property, cattle, servants. But along with that usually came prestige, respect, the ability to bribe the courts, people's attention. It came a lot of other things that we see rich people have. So now I want us to apply it to any form of privileges that we may have. If you were born into a family that is popular, even though you don't say that they're wealthy, well, there's privilege there, education privilege, whatever it is. Again, we're all Americans, and by the world standards, we're all rich anyway. Command those who are rich in this present world. That means this short life, by the world standards, they're rich. Now he's going to warn them about two dangers. 
Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, that's the first danger, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Arrogance is the idea that they, they attribute their identity and their self-worth to what they have, to their wealth, to their privilege. They, they say, because I have this, I am blank. And oftentimes it's, you know, a peg or five higher than everybody else. And it makes them feel good about themselves. Don't be arrogant, he's saying. Don't think that you're better than others because you have X, Y, and Z. Even if you justify it by saying, well, I worked really hard for this. Because that's always our pushback with privilege, right? Somebody accused of being privileged, like, well, I worked hard for it. But who gave us the ability to work hard? Who, who gave us the family that taught us to work hard? Whatever that is, it's a gift from God, right? It's a gift from God. So we, we, we recognize it. We're thankful to God for it. And we're not to be arrogant with it. Nor to put their hope in wealth. That's the second danger. Don't, 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 pee, um, don't put your security into your wealth because it's not secure. It's uncertain. No matter how big your bank account is, you're just uh, one accident away, one uh, failed insurance claim away, one lawsuit away from losing a lot of it. I mean, a domino, if some of you guys have experienced that, one thing leads to another, leads to another, and within a year or two, what you had built is gone. Hurricanes, wildfires, it's uncertain. Now, he doesn't say feel guilty about it. This doesn't say feel guilty about it. Privilege doesn't mean guilt. Riches doesn't mean guilt. But he just says recognize that it's uncertain. It's shaky ground. It can be gone tomorrow. So watch out for that. Rather, put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So put your hope in God, not just because it's morally right, although it is, not because he's worthy of our worship, although he is, but you put your hope in God because he will come through every time. He will provide you with what you need so that you can enjoy life. He wants you to enjoy life. You got to get that. God wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to have joy. He's given us the ability to do that with what he provides. Now the temptation is for us to go, well, but I want this, this, and this, and my want feels really like a need, so he hasn't given me all that I need to enjoy life. That's the temptation, especially for the rich, especially for us here. Many of you have traveled. You know that folks in other countries who have significantly less than we do seem to have a lot more joy, right? Especially when they know Jesus. Because we're always fighting this temptation, well, oh, I should have that, and I should get that too. And oh, I actually, I could really use that as well. And then it's robbing us. I think what Paul is implying here is that the secret to enjoying life is to be content with having less than what we think we need or deserve. So, like, I'm tempted to have this, this, and this, but I'm going to pull back and go, actually, I can be content here. I can be content with this gap between what I have, with what God has provided, and what I think I need. Now that's the dangers to avoid. Watch out for those dangers. Put your hope in God, but then show that your hope is in God by doing something else. So now let's look what he says. 
Verse 18. Command them instead. So who command who? The rich in this present world. Now again, we could have a debate about who's more privileged within this room and who's more disadvantaged for different reasons. And we'll address that shortly. But let's put ourselves by the world standards, if we're rich in this world, in that category, in some form or another, we're all privileged. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In other words, use your privileges to be rich in good deeds. Not don't feel guilty about your privileges, but use them to be rich in good deeds. It's a play on words. Command the rich to be rich in good deeds. See that? Command the rich, he said in verse 17. That word rich corresponds to this rich here, rich in good deeds. They should still be rich, but tell them to be rich in the right things, in good deeds. What kind of good deeds? He spells it out. Be generous and willing to share. Take your riches and be willing to share with others. Those are the good deeds that I want you to be rich in, he says. Store up riches with good deeds. Store up good deed riches. They're tangible. You're generous and you're willing to share your worldly wealth, your worldly privileges, whatever God's given you. You're willing to share it, sacrifice it, give it away. And by doing so, you're actually storing up riches. It's like, it's like every good deed done in the name of Christ is going into a savings account. And we want this kingdom savings account to increase. And it increases as we give away our worldly wealth and our worldly privileges. And we take, whether we're rich in time, anybody rich in time? You're retired, you're able to be rich, whatever it is. You're rich in abilities, you're rich in money, you're rich in space in your house. Give it away, use it to serve others in Christ's name. And it's storing up a savings account for eternity. Look what he says next. Willing to share in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You're saving up for eternity with your riches, with your good deeds, when you share, when you're generous with them. It's kind of like this. Here's, here's an illustration. Um, if you had a chance, if you had, or an option, I'd give you $1,000 right now. You can spend it on anything you want. Whatever urgent need you feel like you have, get that car fixed, get that new pair of clothes, whatever you want. Go on a vacation. Give you $1,000 now. You got a year to spend it. But in a year, whatever you use it on, it's going to dissolve. It's gone. Or you wait, you say no now, you take that money, and you go out and Give it away and bless other people with it who are, have, who, have, who are more disadvantaged than you. In a year from now, you're going to have a million dollars. Which would you take? Unless you have a major problem with delayed gratification, you're going to take the million dollars. You're like, I'll, I'll wait a year. I can deal with some of these pressing, urgent needs right now. And it's a faulty analogy, but that's kind of what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, take what God's given you. Use it to bless others, because by doing so, you're storing up for the coming age. Now, I don't know exactly the correlation between now and eternity. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by giving money away and stuff away and 
serving. Like that's, that's religion. We're not saved that way. We're saved by grace. But in some form, and last week's passage talked about this too. Jesus' parables talked about this. In some way, if we're truly born again and belong to Jesus, then we're going to realize that what he's given us is not ours, and it's meant to bless others, especially the least of these. And who are the least of these? Well, consider anybody who's more disadvantaged than you in any way that you're privileged. I mean, he said, if you give somebody a cold drink of water in my name, it gets noted. He said, you know, uh, if, if you were hungry and, I, and you gave, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. So uh, enter into the kingdom. It's a parable of a sheep, sheep and goats. But he said to the goats, I, I was hungry and you didn't give me something to eat. You didn't give me water. You didn't visit me in prison. So many times, Jesus is like, I did the least of these. So whoever is more disadvantaged than us in any way, he's saying, hey, serve them with what I've given you, blessed you with. And by doing so, somehow in eternity, you're going to be glad that you did. Even though you're saved by grace, there's a correlation there that we cannot deny. I can't fully explain it, but I believe it. I'm going to trust it. I want to live like it. I've used this analogy before, and I, I don't know if it hel it's helpful, but when I used to play football uh, in high school, there was, a there, was a, there was a season where I had to miss three games because uh, I was suspended for something. That's for another day. And uh, <laughs> maybe 30 years from now. Um, when we won, it was so hard to celebrate in the same way that I normally celebrated those wins because my uniform was clean. It was something about a clean uniform where I'm like, yeah, high five, everybody. And I'm like, clean uniform. And I, th I think Paul's hinting at, like, you don't want to have a clean uniform in eternity. Going like, I played it really safe, Jesus. I took your grace, I accepted it, and then I took all my privileges, and I just protected them for me until I died. Un clean uniform, Yay. He's like, no, enter eternity with a messy uniform. Take your privileges and enter into the mess of humanity with it. And by doing so, you're storing up a firm foundation for the coming age so that you may take hold of life that is truly life. So, I want us to start to think. If God wants us to be rich in good deeds with our privileges. Let's just think individually now. How? Are you privileged? What privileges do you have? How, how, how has God uniquely blessed you more than others? Not how are you disadvantaged compared to others. That's for a different day. How are you uniquely privileged? Is it with wealth, money, land? I mean, uh, gosh, I, in some ways I, I'm preaching to a choir, right? You guys are doing this. This is such a generous church. I, I, I'm so tempted to list off 50 examples of what I've seen in you guys, and I can't do that. But how is God wanting to stretch us even more? How are you privileged, and then who is at a disadvantage in that same area? Maybe you don't have as much money as some other family in our congregation, but maybe you have more than somebody who's struggling right now. Single parent trying to make do. Can you bless them? You know, Art Summers, uh, wealthy guy in our area, 
has a big farm, has, I don't know, what, 19, 20 acres. He wants to bless our church by giving us five acres, not to pay for it. We'll pay for the building on it, of course, but he, he wants to bless us. He knows he's not going to be around that much longer. He actually made us sign the contract saying that we won't sell that land for, to, for any other business use. He wants it to be a church. He wants God's purposes to be done on that parcel of land. He wants his privilege to be used for the king and his kingdom. I think of a family in our church, I won't mention their names, who took their wealth privilege, house privilege, space privilege, and empty nest privilege. Kids were growing out. And they took in a single mom. Helped her raise her, 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 her child until she could get back on her feet. Take in their privilege and say, I'm going to pour it into somebody. And their life got messier by doing that. Their life got messier. Another family's doing renovations on their house because they want to be able to foster. Those are some big ways, but what about some small ways? Are, again, are you rich in time? Are you retired? Do you have flexibility? Some of you guys are using that privilege of being retired to serve an assisted living home. You're caring for elderly. You're, you're uh, helping with a homework club. You're teaching English as a second language. You're serving with Habitat for Humanity. Like, these are things that you guys are doing. What else? What else might God be leading us to do? Remember, he wants us to enjoy life. So this is not, oh, I should do this. This is, oh, the more, the more I get to use my privileges, the more my heart's going to line up with God's, and I'm going to feel his joy, his peace flowing through me. What else? What else? Don't use as an excuse you're going through a hard time. Sow so that you reap, right? That's, what the, that's a Bible principle. Sow generously, reap generously. Don't cut yourself short. My wife, there's small ways. Uh, I was thinking about this this week. The, she, my wife has a privilege to work from home. Not everybody gets to work from home. People go into offices and stuff. This past week, one day, a neighbor, a single mom of three boys, uh, the youngest was sick, and so the neighbor stopped her out on the street early on when she was coming back from Rome. I said, I got to go, go, go to the office. Can you take him to, into the house and just wait for the babysitter to get here? So Jess brings him over. Or, you know, we're getting the other girls ready for school. I leave. Go, I go to the office. Around 12, she texts me. She's like, I don't know if this kid's going home. Like, I, I think he's going to be with me all day. So she's trying to work. I found out later. She's like playing foosball with the kid while she's on a Zoom call. Like, using the privilege of working. That's a small way. But what about you? What has God given you? As a church, as a whole, we want to do this. This is why we give 25 to 35% of our money away to missions. We are, we're a blessed church. I talk to other pastors. They don't have the kind of giving that we do. We want to be faithful with it. We want to use it. We want to make sure we're not spending too much on ourselves. We want to make sure we're putting up proper boundaries and limitations. Because you can get sucked into that. Well, our church needs this and our church needs that. We want to make sure we're always giving away a significant amount to missions. Our church, I mentioned this to you guys a few months ago, our church was among the highest givers in our denomination to the Great Commission Fund, our, the missions giving, giving fund of our denomination uh, in the country. And we're a small church. We're up there with like mega churches. You guys are so generous. So we want to keep doing this as a church, but also not be content patting ourselves on the back. We want God expand my heart of compassion for those 
who are struggling, the vulnerable, and help us to care for them. Stretch us even more. Stretch us even more. When we have a church building, my concern is not whether we're going to be able to pay a mortgage on that. You know what my big concern is? Are we going to get sucked into the temptation where we have a building, and we're, we're, we're on our way. We're working with engineers now. We're, we'll have more specific updates for you soon. But my concern is we're going to get sucked into temptation where everybody just wants to have a party at the building. Can I have my kid's birthday party there? Can I have this there? Can I have this there? At the expense of using that building to serve the least of these in our communities. Where we can't care for single moms. We can't care for addicts. We can't bring in others, homeless folks, during, for code blue, the cold nights. We can't do that because, well, we got little Jimmy John's birthday party going on on Wednesday night. And then we got this going on Thursday night. And we want to be able to say, hold up. Hold up. It's not about us. I want to do this as a family. It's, it's easy to get sucked in. One more verse I want to show you. I know I'm, i got to slow down. One more verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, the Apostle Paul writes this, and this is a verse that has haunted me for years, and haunted in a good way. He says this, if, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is a chapter on the resurrection of Jesus, all about the resurrection of Jesus. And he's making the case for why not only did it happen historically, but why it's so important that you, Corinthians, believe it, understand it. And here he says this, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You know what he's saying? You know what he's really saying? He's saying the way that I live my life is so countercultural and unnatural that it only makes sense if there's a resurrection. The way I give sacrifice, I mean, Paul was privileged, education, wealth. He, he was a privileged guy. And the way he held loosely to that, sacrificed it for the cause of Christ, did not make sense. And it's worth feeling, you, you should feel sorry for him if there is no resurrection. And what it implies to me is, the, the question it raises for all of us should be, does my life make too much sense? Does the watching world look at my life and go, yeah, that's pretty much how I live. That's pretty much what I do with my wealth, my privilege, what God's given me, whoever God is. Like, does the watching world look at us and go, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Or do they go, they must really believe that resurrection stuff. Because their hope is clearly not in this world. The way they live and give and share their privileges. What we do with our privileges reveals how much we really believe in the resurrection. So, <clears throat> use it for the king and his kingdom. Use it. Let's stand. Band, you guys can come on up here and, and lead us a little bit. Um, as I always say, it may sound like a broken record, but singing is a chance for us to declare what we say we believe about God and sometimes struggle with. To declare it with our mouths so that it goes from our head to our hearts. So Lord, help us 
help us to make a big deal out of you right now to set the pattern for the rest of the week that you're a big deal. You're the biggest deal in our lives. We are living for the day, and we, we want to live for the day. When we see you face to face, oh, how amazing that will be. God, protect us from playing it safe. Don't let what you've given us end on ourselves for our own glory, our own comforts, our own pleasures, our own sense of status. God, help us to use it for your kingdom in big ways and small ways. When you return or when we die and face you, we want to have a messy uniform. We want to be wrung out like a sponge for your glory, for your kingdom. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.